Hey guys, we had a lot of fun with the brought to you by section on this show, and we forgot to mention our supporting sponsor, Intech Process Automation. They have created a white paper just for you. Fantastic resource to optimize what you're doing in the oil field. Check it out at intechww.com forward slash podcast. It's intechww.com forward slash podcast. All right, let's do the show. I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, brought to you by Tribe Rocket Inc. and Modal Point. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 67, who the heck is Tribe Rocket Inc. and Modal Point, Mark? Yeah, it's, um, they're two really great companies, right? So um, why don't you talk about Tribe Rocket? Tribe Rocket Inc., we build and monetize audiences, both for our own company, well, mine and Mark's joint venture in the shows that we develop, and then we train we train companies on how to build and monetize their own audiences. Yeah, in Modal Point, we do a market research. We basically help companies figure out where their product or service fits in the oil and gas industry to make their sales just super cool easy. And why is this show brought to us this week, Mark? Because we're in between sponsors, we, um, we've uh, just ended a really awesome, great sponsor um, who's coming back, and we have another really awesome, cool, great sponsor that's coming on, but there's a time lag in between the two, so we technically, uh, this is sponsored by uh, me and James. Yes, yeah, and we're not going to skip a show, especially since it's a first Friday Q&A, one of our favorites of the week, our favorites of the month every month. Yeah, it's uh, at least our audience's favorites. I'm not always sure if it's my favorite, but it's good stuff. <laughs> it's it's it, maybe it's my favorite because I get to put you uh, put you oh, under the gun a spot. little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we talked about the sponsorship. We might want to mention a live event that might be coming up. Yeah. So if you're a regular listener, you know we've talked about it before, and literally just getting the logistics um, down, just taking us a while. Uh, hats off to Paige out there. She's the one who actually managed to pull most of this off. Um, so we're tentatively in July. It's going to be a live event where you can come, uh, listen to us do the podcast, ask questions there and live. Uh, we're going to have food. We're going to have drinks, but it's going to be limited to 35 people. First come, first serve. 35 is a small number of people, but and whenever we announce the landing page, you, you need to get there quickly because that's going to fill up real quick. Talk to them about the setup we're going to have too, Mark, because we're, we're going to have a stage and everything. Oh, yeah. We're going to have a stage. We have our, our sound guys could be there. Um, we're going to have um, uh, roving microphones. Like I said, we're going to have uh, free food, free drinks. Uh, this is going to be a really premier event that we're doing for our audience. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. We're going to get local press there. It's It's going to be huge. But we'll 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 save the rest of that conversation. Well, for, actually, let me let me say one more thing. Yeah, we're gonna announce it first on our LinkedIn group. So if you're those people that haven't joined a LinkedIn group and you want to come to our, you want a chance to come to our live event, you want to know about it first. You better go join. Yeah, tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. We did a lot of good on the last episode where we helped the people suffering from the from the fur, fires furs fires up in Alberta. I'm a member of Families of the Oil uh, um, Families of the Oil Field. It's a group on Facebook. One of my favorite groups. They're big supporters of the show, and I want to be able to support a family in need here. So this is 
from Michelle Star Shockley. Uh, she posted this earlier in the week, and I said, start a GoFundMe account so we can all help you out. And so this is the status that created my reply and then created the GoFundMe account. So, okay, okay y'all, my son lost his job like everyone else. He's trying to set up a house for him and his two girls, age three and one. They need a cheap refrigerator and table and chairs. He really needs a little of everything. Thanks and hope all are doing well. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a, a link. So if you're listening to this, you can contribute to this GoFundMe account. It's triberocket.com for, forward slash TW Oilfield. Tribrocket.com forward slash TW Oilfield. That will take you right to the GoFundMe account. I think Michelle put up 2000 if, if If we get 50 cents from all of our listeners, Mark, I think we can help with that. Yeah. So come on, folks. This is one of our family who's suffering, right? A dollar, ten, five, whatever you can contribute, go do it. You're, you're helping our, 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 you know, our brothers and sisters in Oilfield out. Um, so please go take a second. Whatever you can contribute it will be greatly appreciated. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Mark. All right. Let's get into the questions. See if uh, see if we can stump you. <laughs> All right. Um, Jerry Levine that works at Qit, who also I believe is a winner of a previous um, a previous giveaway. But he is a maintenance superintendent at Qit. And here's his question. Since the beginning of this downturn, discussion of the quote great crew change has been limited. Many have taken early retirement while a significant number of mid-career professionals have needed to look to other industries ultimately compounding the issue. When the turnaround comes, will the skilled workforce be there to gear up? And, and the answer is no. <laughs> um, so you're not hearing about the great crew changes much in upstream and the service companies that touch upstream because they're laying people off. Uh, you still hear this. It's a huge issue in downstream and in the pipeline companies. And uh, and you're, you're absolutely right, Jerry. It's um, because we're losing this talent that the real – the real danger here, and it's actually something I'm quite worried about. So if um, I go talk to a senior uh, operations manager at ExxonMobil, right, he's probably been at a company at least 30 years, maybe 35, maybe even 40 years, right? Um, he started his career a million years ago out in West Texas on some rig, right, as a roustabout, and he worked his way up through the company. To this day, even though he's running a multi-billion dollar year book of business for Exxon, to this day, if they lose control of a well out in Texas somewhere, he goes in his closet, gets his hard hat and his boots, and goes out there and helps him get it back under control. Why? Because he's done it his whole career, right? He spun wrenches. He, he knows how things work. What's going to happen is this guy's going to retire either because he wants to or he's going to be offered a package. The guy that's going to replace him is going to be probably Ivy League MBA, super smart kid. Um, he's never been on, on a rig. He's never done any of this stuff. And so that that intangible experience that's in people's heads is going to disappear. And I'm I'm actually really worried about our industry losing a lot of that. Now, um, when the turnaround comes, and which, by the way, James, you know what oil is today? I do not know what it is. Please enlighten me. $51 a barrel. Hmm. Might that be on target for something we, that, that a certain person from a company called Motopoint has been saying for a while? Yep. And everybody's told me I was crazy. So, but when the turnaround comes, 
it's it's not going to come back with a bang unless something dangerous, unless basically unless um, Saudi Arabia goes to war in the Middle East, then it will come back. It's going to come back softly, right? So it's come back to $55, $60 a barrel. It's going to stay there. But we're not going to have the manpower to actually be able to staff up. And it is a major concern. And something else, Jerry, you may not know. It's, it's interesting you brought this up. Internally, inside of Modal Point, for the last six years, we do the same survey where we literally reach out to about 900 mid-level oil and gas executives globally. And we ask them, when you look at your business in the next five years, what's your number one thing that you're worried about? Even in this low crude price environment, it's still labor, right? Talent shortage. So the great truth change is happening. There's not a lot of discussion around it in upstream. It is talked about a lot in downstream and in, in uh, midstream. Um, yeah, and it's, it's going to be a major issue. And I don't know what the solution is going to be. This, what's typically we do, which is not really a long-term solution, is companies get into a bidding war, right? The guy that understands completions with Schlumberger offers him an extra $20,000 and Halliburton offers another thirty, and then Baker offers him another forty, and And pretty soon this guy's making way more money than he should. Now, he's not complaining, but what happens is when it slows down again, guess who gets cut first? This guy because he's making so much money. Um, and you know, I'd like to see that change, but I don't expect it to. I, I think that's what's going to happen. And there's, I see two different things happening here. First of all, we have the issue of how do we capture the knowledge? And we talked recently with NOV about some of the work that they're doing for that. And there are companies out there that are working for that. But then from my perspective, from the Tribe Rocket Inc. perspective, I guess you could say, is how are these companies preparing to recruit that talent once it's time? Because I don't know that enough companies are thinking about that yet. It's there. And, you know, some big companies that are doing well in downstream, like CB&I, they can't hire people. <laughs> I mean, they just can't hire, they can't fill all positions they have open. Um, what's going to be different with this, this uptick which is that uh, companies are going to need to be more I'm comfortable using things like social media to recruit, which right now in upstream and, and the service companies, they're not doing because the talent they're going to need is not going to be in our industry. Think of like welders, right? There's a whole bunch of welders right now that are unemployed or underemployed in automotive. Welding's welding, right? We need those welders here. The problem is the welders in automotive don't know that they can come work in oil and gas and make a lot more money. And the way you do that properly in 2016 in the future is with social media. So um, we'll see what happens. It's the, the companies that do it right out of the gate are going to pull way ahead of the companies that just don't get it. What's interesting is that I just had a conversation with energy funders yesterday. And I don't believe that you've really had any interaction with them, Mark, but I've, I've been sort of in, in acquaintance with them and worked with them since they were really a seed company. And what they do is crowdfunding for oil and gas wells, small projects. And they're at a point now where they're growing rapidly. What's interesting with their model is that they're not only targeting people who invest in oil and gas, but people who invest in crowdfunding, right? Yeah. And, and so they have to make sure that their language speaks to people outside of the industry. And it's a really interesting point that you bring up that when these companies are going to be going about this through social media and digital tools that they don't use today, they're also going to be using language that they've never used. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's interesting. All right, so moving over to Aaron Drucker at CB&I, who you just mentioned, he he has a question here. I didn't get his title. You know Aaron, though, so we all know Aaron, I should say, a uh, friend of the show. So, hey, guys, great show as always. I love getting smarter together. And in that vein, I had a connect. I had a correction and a comment. 
Oil futures are traded on the NYMEX, not the New York Stock Exchange. Also, I thought that Mark's explanation of the oil demand versus the proliferation of electric cars was great. However, I always think it's worth mentioning that in addition to the petroleum products that car is made from, the car is powered by electricity from gas-fired power plants. Take care, guys. Great job, Aaron. Yeah, you busted me, Aaron. Um, you're right. I, I, so, um, uh, oil is actually traded in the New York um, Mercantile Exchange, NYMEX, not the New York Stock Exchange. So, yeah, uh, I was I got that one wrong. And yeah, Aaron, you're absolutely right. Um, something a lot of environmentalists don't know or they don't talk about is that the electricity from your electric car, at least in uh, the U.S. and Europe, it comes from either coal or natural gas-fired power plants, preferably natural gas because it's 60% cleaner for the environment. Um, so, you know, if you have an electric car and nothing gets electric cars, I think if you get a chance to drive a Tesla, you'll, you'll be hooked. Um, but you're really not doing anything other than moving the pollution. So the pollution's not coming out of your tailpipe because you don't have a combustion engine. The pollution's coming out the, the smokestack of the coal or, or um, gas-fired power plant that made the electricity for you. That is such a wonderful way of putting it. I've never really thought of it in those terms. Yeah, you're you're moving the pollution. So instead of NIMBY, not in my backyard, it's not, I don't know what NIM, whatever, not <laughs> out of my back tailpipe, right? Yeah. Interesting, interesting. All right, Patrick Johnson. He's retired, and he has this to ask or say. Hello, Mark and James. I have enjoyed listening to your podcast and appreciate all the hard work you put into making the show. I wanted to ask a question to both of you and correct you on a listener error in one of your previous podcasts. My question is, how does a company that has damaged its relationship with a customer go about repairing or undoing the damage? I'm currently retired, but occasionally take on consulting opportunities. As such, I have come across many firms in the oil and gas industry that are looking to enter new markets or regain lost market share, which can be done by repairing relationships with customers that have soured due to poor on-time delivery, quality issues, or overall mismanagement of relationships. Any thoughts? Let's get your thoughts on that, and then we'll go on from there. Yeah, Patrick, what a, what a really strategic question because um, I see this all the time and, and every now and then occasion I'll have to help somebody with this as well. So first thing is, and you know this, Patrick, because you're retired from the industry, trying to repair that relationship in oil and gas is pretty near impossible. Um, I, I could tell you story after story of, of, of you know incidents where it just doesn't happen. You can do it, but it's work. Uh, first thing is, is you have to have total acceptance and total transparency between your client and the company that doesn't like them anymore about how they failed. Like, yes, we know it was our fault. Yes, we didn't deliver on time. Yes, we priced it wrong, whatever. And then what you need to do is bring in a new salesperson, right? Um, or, or business development or whatever, because the company is going to associate the failure with that other salesperson, whether it was his fault or not. You bring in a new salesperson and go, look, we want to earn your business back. Once again, total transparency. We know that we screwed up in the past. Um, but I think we have some real value to bring to you. Now, what's going to happen is they're not going to just jump over. They, they have an existing vendor they're happy with. You messed up or your client messed up. Um, but if you spend some time doing that and you know talk to them about having supplier diversity and do a proof of concept. We've talked about that before where you come in and, and do a very small project for them where you pay half and they pay half. You can, if you put enough work into this, you can rebuild those relationships. Now, the thing is you have to deliver. And not only do you have to deliver, you have to deliver what – your competition is doing times 10. You got to really shine. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen this, I've seen this actually quite often with some major service companies repair their relationships with the big operators, but it took 
you know, two, three years of a dedicated effort to get it done. So hopefully that, that helps you there, there, Patrick. I would like to add to that because right now I am just finishing Jay Bear's new book called Hug Your Haters. And it's all about how to use comments or how you should basically, not basically, how you should reply to every comment that any customer leaves you every time, anywhere online. And we're going to have him on the show to talk about that. But from a larger perspective, from a marketing perspective, I think that you what you would have to do is not take offense at the fact that you're being yet that you're given negative feedback, but almost see that as a canary in the coal mine that can help you to shape your messaging and help you to change the way that you're not only talking in the sales conversation one to one, but also how do you speak to the marketplace? Because if it happened with one company, it might have happened with several. And you can look at a company like Domino's Pizza. Their newest campaign basically was, hey, Domino's Pizza, we don't suck anymore. (laughs) That's pretty much what it was about. And so I think that you could also use some of that feedback to to help not only gain that one client back, but to speak to the marketplace to gain several. And yeah, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. All right. So moving on. Uh, so we, we give him his thoughts. So also wanted to correct a previous listener rega- regarding Schlumberger. The comment was around TNT Engineering, which is not a German rig manufacturer, but in fact, a Houston based designer and provider of drilling structures and equipment. The Germany company, the German company that Schlumberger is currently engaged with in a JV is Bauer Machine GmbH, part of Bauer Group. That is working on the new land, the new land rig fleet for Schlumberger to to be deployed internationally. Thank you for your time, and hope to hear your thoughts in this next podcast, if possible. Keep up the good work. Well, you yeah. definitely have our thoughts, and thanks for the correction as well. Yeah, Patrick, we love it when we if we get something wrong, somebody points it out to us. So, uh, thank you for showing that. It's you know, I should have realized when I was talking about that when I said TNT Engineering that they were probably an engineering company. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe put maybe. two and two together there. Yeah, but anyway, thanks, Patrick. Wonderful, wonderful, good stuff. All right, let's move on to Raheem Razak, and he is a retired engineer. Here's this question. I came across an article about USAID and the EIA assisting Pakistan. Before we continue, can you tell us who those people are? Um, the uh, USI, USAID um, is, is a group that does energy studies, right? So they, they figure out um, you know, what's where as far as reserves, what's recoverable, um, you know, what needs to take place in order to get those recovered. They, they're, they're basically trying to help with research, help the oil and gas industry globally. Mm-hmm. And then the EIA. Uh, European something. We need a fact checker. Is it European Independent Development, something like that. I, I, I thought the no, EIA no, no, is energy, energy information. That's, yeah, energy yeah, information. That's U.S. government. As far right, as, right, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay, so, hey, look, I got something on this show here. I came across an article. Um, so he came across this uh, assisting Pakistan with shale gas development. And he has a link, which I'll put in the show notes. How big of a deal is it for Pakistan? And does it have the potential to be a major player in Asia? What other countries have the potential to unlock more oil and gas driven by advancements in drilling and shale formations? Argentina comes to mind, but know anyone else? Great job with the show and really enjoy the Q&A. Look forward to your answer. 
Yeah, so uh, the Pakistan uh, reserves are about 15 billion barrels of, of oil and about uh, 95 trillion cubic feet of gas. Um, that's what they think they can recover now. That's not a huge find. I mean, for Pakistan, it's a good find. And yes, some of that will be exported to Asia, especially that gas, because um, it's going to be easier for Pakistan to build the f infrastructure to export that gas than it would be to build the infrastructure internally to supply that gas to all its people. So if the government sells the gas, it then has the money, which it then can benefit the people. See how that – the infrastructure is the key there. There's, you know, Pakistan – the people, most of the people, in Pakistan don't have natural gas ran to their house like we have here, and, and how the Europeans have. So um, that's what's going on there. Um, I expect them to find more reserves there. The question about other shell uh, formations in the world is a great question. That people don't talk about this. It, they're, they're all over the place. Um, China has huge shale reserves. You just can't trust what they say about how big they are because it's coming from China. But they have a ton of it. Uh, Russia does as well. Uh, Argentina, Chevron's out there already uh, producing Argentina and their shell plays. Uh, Mexico has a ton of shell plays. So shell is not a U.S. Shale. Shale is not a U.S. specific geology. It's all over the world. The reason it's taken off here is we figured it out. And the reason it hasn't taken off anywhere else yet is that they haven't figured it out. And the reason they can't figure it out is because most of the knowledge is in people's heads, which means you can't hack it. So, um, but as we go through time, um, other regions of the world will, will tap into the shale plays. And this is, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why I say we're in a hydrocarbon abundant world forever, um, because we've, we've barely nicked the surface of this stuff. Yeah. So rest in peace to Mr. George P. Mitchell, who figured that thing out over the course of 20 years over yep. out there and out there in West Texas. Okay. Moving on to Amir, uh, Amir Kareem. Hey, look at this. He works for NOV, our friends over at NOV. Historically, it seems that the oil and gas industry has employed a lot more people than is necessary. Given the changing dynamics of our industry and the current slump we're in, do you think the industry will finally accept and become a more lean industry similar to banking and IT? When times are good, I've seen secretaries that have their own secretaries, <laughs> and then we have a crash in oil prices. Companies lay off tens of thousands only to regain what was lost when prices climb back up. Why not remain lean and focus on developing your core talent of employees and embracing automation and have employees that can do the jobs of three to four people, for example, then go through this higher and later fire stages? Any thoughts? Thanks, and really enjoy the show. Yeah, so this is this is a personal validation for me because I've been talking about this for a couple of years now. So um, you're absolutely right. We go through this, especially in upstream to service companies. They they staff up, they fire, they staff up, fire, depending on the price of oil. And this downturn, this is the fourth one I've been to. This downturn is different in several different ways than all the previous ones. One of the the differences is that. Um, all the previous downturns, the only source of capital was banks, and banks could care less about your business. They make you the loan. They want their money back plus interest. Now we're watching a debt equity market literally stand up inside the oil and gas industry where I invest in your company, not your assets, in your company, and I want to improve the efficiencies of your company, make you more profitable so when the price of oil comes back, I sell you and I make money. Well, if I'm running your company, if I have own, your, own part of your company because I have a debt equity um, company – and I invest in you, and I see that you're still doing multi-billion dollar offshore projects in Excel spreadsheets, I'm going to make you change that. That making you change that, making you adopt new technology has never happened before. The other thing, and he's absolutely right about this as well, is we're, we're 
process automation, digital oil field, big data, all that stuff is impacting the industry right now. We're literally in the middle of it. So what I think is going to happen in another 15 years or so, 15 or 20 years, I think the oil and gas industry is going to look like Silicon Valley. It's going to be sexy. It's going to be fast. It's going to be efficient. You can see a bunch of entrepreneurs doing really cool stuff in it. Um, and, and I think that's where we're going. And it's just because of the market drivers that are happening literally right now. Now, the other thing I must mention about this, no matter what we do, uh, oil and gas is a commodity, a global commodity, and this bust or boom cycle is true of every commodity. So our listeners may not know this, but right now in the U.S. we have an oversupply of cheese. <laughs> I didn't. I, I, I recently cut dairy back out, so I'm contributing and, to the problem. And the reason we have an oversupply of cheese is about five years ago there was a shortage. So cheese manufacturers, I, I talked, uh, read this story just the other day. One guy had 200 cows and he spent the money to put 400 cows. And he spent a million dollars to double the size of his cheese production, right? Well, everybody else did the same thing. So then everybody started producing more cheese. So now we have a surplus and they're getting pennies on the dollar and having to lay people off. So any commodity, it's going on in the steel market right now. China's flooded the world with steel. Uh, steel is dirt cheap. So they're laying off people. And then once they lay off people, once production goes down, whether it's cheese, steel, or crude oil, and the price recovers and they hire back up. So trying to level that out completely is never going to go away because we're in a commodity world. But you're right. With the proper application of technology and with understanding um, things like lean manufacturing, we should be able to smooth out the huge peaks and valleys to something more manageable. I'm waiting for an oversupply in bacon because those prices <laughs> could go down. They, they need to go down. Anybody out there who knows any uh, people in the whole pig farming, get us some bacon. All right, meat candy. Hendrick Weiner from Thyssenkrupp Marine Systems. He's an ocean engineer. I believe this is our first question from an ocean engineer, so that's pretty exciting. Hey, James and Mark, big thanks from Germany. Oh, my brother, Germany. You know I'm German. We won't talk about the meaning of my last name. Yeah, yeah but James, did I just talked to you before we got on the mic about that company that wants us to go to Berlin. Oh, yeah, that? that's right. Well, and then we've, we're talking to people in Kazakhstan. So, yeah. hey, if you're out there, right, Mark? Yeah, if you if you would like us to come do a podcast live in your company, uh, your country, whatever, uh, we'll do it. We just got to work out the details. But you know, we we literally uh, had somebody reach out to us from the government of Kazakhstan saying, "Hey, we'd love to come do a podcast here." So we're working on the details. And then this morning, I had somebody reach out to me from Berlin. So yeah, if you want to see one of these in person, hit us up. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. All right, hey James, Mark, big thanks from Germany. I really enjoy listening to your shows for both personal and professional reasons. As a big fan of the offshore oil and gas industry, I'm keeping up with recent developments through your podcast. Good stuff. The company I work for is highly experienced in designing and building non-nuclear military submarines. As young ocean engineer, I am part of a small but dedicated team that works on concepts for non-military customers. For example, subsea power plants, multi-purpose submarines, large unmanned vehicles. With our unique background, I believe we can provide a lot of value to offshore oil and gas companies. The problem is our concepts remain just concepts unless we find customers to develop them further with us. How can I tailor the wording in meetings and presentations to make our military background suitable to oil and gas? Is there retention towards defense companies in the oil and gas sector? I'm really, really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the issue. Keep up the great work, Hendrick. Yeah, Hendrick. Unfortunately, um, there there is a resistance, um, and it's and it's I've experienced it myself here in the U.S. when 
uh, a lot of the Department of Defense and NASA comp- projects got um, defunded about five years, five or six years ago, I think. And at that time, oil and gas was blowing and going offshore, and there was a shortage of new processes, new materials, engineers, and all these NASA and Department of Defense companies had new processes, new materials, and engineers. And I thought, I'm going to make a fortune. Um, and it, the actually exact opposite happened. The problem with defense companies is they don't understand um, how to work in the oil and gas sector. So typically in defense companies, um, you go to some website, right? Um, you structure your company to have some type of benefits. So here in the U.S., if you're minority-owned or female-owned, you get preference on the on the bids, right? So uh, you go to some website, you bid on something. If you're awarded the bid, they then pay for you to staff up to deliver the the, the engineering and whatever. Um, that's not how it works in oil and gas. You're not going to go to some website so you can bid on stuff for Chevron. It, offshore, it just doesn't happen. Um, Chevron is not going to pay you to staff up, um, and if you can't, del- and Chevron's not going to give you preferential treatment if you're small. Uh, in fact, they like large companies. So, it's it's just a basic difference in the way business is done. Now, with all that said, what you can do to help show your defense background as a positive way is don't talk about defense. Talk about safety. Safety is huge in in military, right? It's also huge in oil and gas. So you have that background. You have something that is common ground with the oil and gas industry. Um, but uh, Hendrick, this is going to be um, this is not going to be an easy solution to this. It, this is going to be a long, slow it's process. Uphill battle for yeah. sure. Yeah, my my suggestion. I don't know the size of your company. My suggestion, actually, I do know the size of your company. You're a big company. My suggestion would make it. Uh, it looks like you work in a group that's dedicated for uh, non-military type of stuff. My suggestion is actually come up with some solutions that the industry needs. Like any way to improve efficiencies offshore right now is something that the industry needs. And then go partner with somebody. Um, who has an existing relationship with, with, say, Chevron, right? So that person could be Halliburton, right? Halliburton would be much more likely to engage with you than Chevron will because Halliburton just wants something it can sell to its clients, quite frankly, and they don't care where it comes from. And so work with them as a partner, and that's how you would work on penetrating the offshore oil and gas industry. Yes, and I'm actually looking at the website right now, and I'm just clicking through. I'm seeing oil and gas, and just in terms of content, you need a lot more content to be able to prove that you actually know this industry because we talked about it a lot before, Mark. You can't just walk into this industry and start doing business. People need to understand that you know the language, that you know the culture. They need to be able to trust that. Yeah, and, and because our industry is so unique, just because you've built submarines does not mean that you can build an ROV that FMC will buy to service their trees. You, you don't have that knowledge. You think you can, but you you can't. And FMC is not going to take a risk on you um, designing something that doesn't work, and they end up losing control of a well. It's just it, their their you know their products are zero defect. So, um, but you can do this. It's just going to take some work. Yeah, and again, on the marketing angle, looking at the the page that's here, it's minimal copy and then at the bottom of it it says product overview oil and gas and then when you click on stainless steel it just tells you about grades of stainless steel it doesn't actually speak to the problem that you're going to be solving within an oil and gas company as a result of the quality stainless steel that you work with so just one more thing there all right we've got to got to keep it moving though glenn mann we got to catch up with our buddy glenn mann he's a sales manager at sierra instruments and he gets two questions but that's because he sent him over the course of a couple months and he was he was bumped last month and we'll get to, we'll get to that in a second as well 
James, uh, sorry for the so blah blah blah. Question would be: Where do the oil and gas professionals like? To, where do where do oil and gas professionals like to frequent for online information from peers and suppliers? Example: LinkedIn, Facebook, subgroups within these similar social networks. What attributes appeal to users of these sites? Such as, I had a question about X Y Z and was able to get solid, focused guidance without a lot of fluff and speculation, etc. Cheers. So that's his first one. Yeah. So Glenn. Um, we're in the beginning um, of the oil and gas industry uh, going social, right, as far as actually being productive. There are a bunch of LinkedIn groups out there, and quite frankly, a lot of them are filled with spam. Not ours, but everybody else's. Um, and so it's, it's, you, there's some, some productive stuff out there, but until the business users in oil and gas actually get on Facebook and just form a group and start talking about technical problems, you're not going to be able to find that online. A lot of this stuff, unfortunately, is still done in person. Um, but it's changing, and, it, and it's literally changing right now. So uh, give it another couple years. I think online stuff will be much more useful. I'm not a user of Oil Pro. I'm a big user of LinkedIn, um, and I've been forced to use Facebook. Um, so Damn right. Damn yeah. right you have. So for my business, LinkedIn and Facebook actually have been have been worth the time, I should say. Um, and even Twitter has actually been worth the time for me. But you, you need to understand – each one of those are a different platform and you use them differently. And this is where you need to have a conversation with James and not me uh, because the, the, way you, the way you engage on Twitter is really different than the way you engage on Facebook, which is different than the way you engage on LinkedIn. It's not hard. It's just, it's just somebody needs to teach you how to do that. And one thing I will add is a, a quick teaser. If you haven't had a chance to listen to Oil & Gas, the Oil & Gas Careers podcast with Melanie Dodaro from yesterday, you absolutely should do that. She gave a lot of great tips on how to get a job using your LinkedIn profile. But we have another episode. It's going to be a 0.5 episode of Oil & Gas this week coming with her. And one really great point that she made, Mark, that I haven't even talked to you about is even if a group is filled with spam or is inactive and so forth, it you still benefit by joining that group because then you expand your network to everyone who's in that group. Yeah, good point. So, so if you if you join a group of say two hundred fifty thousand users, you expand your network in three degrees by you know twenty million or something like that. So, uh, definitely watch for that point five episode. You're going to want to listen to it. All right. So here's a question for Friday. This is his next one, uh, or anytime. <laughs> How many oil and gas folks have explored employment outside of oil and gas and been passed over as a flight risk? Flight risk, as in when oil bounces up, these folks are uh, gone back to the oil patch. I offer this because my customer, uh, a maintenance manager of a Colorado sugar plant, offered this up explicitly. I myself was told that I was a great candidate, but due to the differential of what I had earned in oil and gas as a sales engineer and what they could offer, I was too much of a flight risk when oil comes back. What an irony. My sugar plant customer says his his high, his oil and gas refugees are his best employees, but knows they will leave when oil returns. No question. Thoughts, Mark? Yes, this is extremely prevalent uh, in business. Um, oil and gas people get paid well, and doing the same job in another industry, you never make as much as oil and gas. And companies have learned that if they hire people from oil, for the most part. That if they learn some hire somebody from the oil and gas industry in a downturn, when the price of crude comes back, they leave for, for the dollar. And you can't fault anybody for wanting to make more money and going back to an industry that they love. You also can't fault somebody for not wanting to 
hire somebody if they know that's going to leave. So it's, it's, it, there's a tension there that's not going to go away. But it, it's, just a, it's just a business fact. Business like fact. I said, it's not, it's not 100%. There are, there are a lot of people in this downturn that went out and entered other industries. Um, but you know, people that hire them should be aware, if they're not aware, that when the price of crude comes back, they're probably going to lose some of those people. Yeah. All right. Carlos Quinones. And Carlos is a consultant at CQ Consulting. Sounds like it might be his company. Consultant, here's, his, here's Carlos's question. I often hear about the, quote, digital oil field, and I've seen considerable investment in technology and automation. For us old folks when sometimes, who sometimes struggle with using the newer technologies, what can we do to catch up and enhance our technological knowledge base? Would it be helpful to learn programming language get our feet wet with data science and analytics, any courses you can recommend books. Thank you. And keep up the great work. Yeah. You don't need to learn code. What you need to learn is uh, process automation, basically at, at a high level. Uh, you don't need to learn uh, analytics. You need to understand the taxonomy around data, how it's generate, how it's used, how it can be mined. A good resource for you, if there's a digital oil field summit every year, um, and that's that would be a great place for you to go to figure out where you need to learn. Um, and then there's tons and tons of books out there. Um, you know, a digital oil field by um, um, Petex Petroleum. Um, um, there's um, Unleashing Productivity, the oil field, digital oil field advantage by uh, strategy. Um, you know, just, just go to Amazon and look at some of the books, but you don't want to go too deep. And the reason you don't want to go deep, like the reason I don't want you to learn how to code is because if you learn how to code, what happens when the uh, the way they do app dev changes and it's a different code? So like recently, you may not know this, but um, for iOS, for Apple apps, they used to use um, C++ and now Apple implemented Swift, totally different coding language. So if you would have spent the time to learn C++, now you can't write iOS apps. You're better off understanding the high level of how it works. So, um, uh, Carlos, I hope that helps you. And, you know, I'm 51 years old. I still am constantly learning uh, about the oil and gas industry and about technology. So don't, you don't ever get there, Carlos. Um, just start somewhere and you'll be fine. That's good stuff. Yeah, start. Just start. That's always great advice. All right, we're going to round things out with Jeffrey Larson. And he wants to know, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for answering my point five questions on the latest Q&A. So here, here, here's Jeffrey's the guy. Jeffrey's the guy. Jeffrey's our listener who, who he had no idea we would actually li- answer all of his questions. It was a nice surprise when I listened to your podcast while I was walking my dog. I had expected for you to answer one of the five and maybe stretch the rest out in future episodes in case you had too many this month. My wife also sends her thanks for the book recommendations. Your show notes uh, have two listed you brought up on the podcast, but you also say there'll be more later. If and when you can get that uh, done, adding them, my Amazon cart is standing by. That's funny. <laughs> Again, love you guys. I can't wait to graduate. Two more years to get back out there. Respectfully, Jeffrey Larson. So our pleasure, Jeffrey, our pleasure. And I will get the rest of those books um, into the show notes for this episode and then go back to the other one as well. Uh, other marketing books I would recommend. I just mentioned Jay's new book, Hug Your Haters. Everybody Writes by Ann Handley is a must read for anyone trying to learn copywriting, sales, copywriting, marketing, just it's, it's phenomenal. I would also recommend the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. I would recommend that above, above all else. We talk about it. I, I mentioned it all the time. Good to great by Jim Collins is phenomenal. And I know that Mark has read that as well. Yeah, and, it is a very great book. And then 
I would also say How the World Sees You by Sally Hogshead. And she has this thing called the Fascination Advantage. It's kind of a personality assessment turned on its head. And you get a lot of, um, a lot of marketing language out of that one. And that's kind of a starter that gets you ready for her newest update to Fascinate, to her book Fascinate, which is all about instead of dealing with you and how you deal with the messaging that you're sort of the way you think about yourself, how do you figure out the core, the core value of your culture and your business and then translate that into marketing language. So I'll put those all in the show notes and I hope that helps. And I'm very glad that, uh, that your wife found, found what we have helpful and thanks for listening. Right, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We're, we're, we're going to have to do a, a quick, uh, round, uh, round the corner here because we're coming up against our time, but we do have a weekly onion to make Mark cringe. New Uber update allows users to file lawsuit against company directly in the app. And, this is hilarious to me, Mark, because I went out, as you know, I think sometimes on Saturday nights I go out to Fox Hollow here in Houston because I, a lot of my friends are DJs and I like to go out and support the fam. When I arrived there, there was an Uber driver who half of his car was in the drain ditch. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> half of his car. And uh, shout out to my man D out there. He said, if that was me, I'd have thrown myself through the windshield. <laughs> Just, oh, man. But uh, yeah, so it says, in the event a plaintiff, a plaintiff loses their case, Uber would automatically recoup its legal fees from the user's preferred debit or credit card. Events on deck. If you want to get Mark's monthly events newsletter, I can't recommend it highly enough because that's exactly how we put the events together for this particular segment of the show. Go to triberocket.com forward slash events. And if you missed this month's events email already, Mark, you just put that on Facebook, didn't you? Yeah, it's on my Facebook page. Awesome. I don't, I don't think it's on Modal Point's Facebook page. I think it's on my Facebook You're, page. Well, go put it on. Well, let's get it on Modal Point because um, I saw somebody like it. So it must be on Modal Point because I'm not privy okay, to what then, happens then on it yours. is on Modal Point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I think we talked about it before, but real quick, CWC World LNG America Summit ex Exhibition happening in Houston um, next week, June 7th through 10th. Yeah, if you touch natural gas anyway, you need to be here. And what is really cool is I just did a real short interview with Sophia. Hi, Sophia. Uh, Sophia, I'm sorry, in the UK. Um, one of the things I didn't know is they actually bring buyers and sellers of LNG to this event. So deals will be in double floor, just like NAEP. Right. So if, if you want to go someplace where multi-million dollar deals are done on the floor, go check this out. I'll be there as press. Um, if you go hit me up on Twitter and I'd love to connect. And, and they're pretty excited that they made your, your list, right? <laughs> yeah, that, I thought that was funny. They, they sent a tweet out uh, because they're excited that they made my uh, must attend list. It is a must attend though. All right. BP statistical review of World Energy 2016, which you can attend in your underwear. Yeah, this is a webinar that you really, if you're in industry, need to pay attention to. This is a British Petroleum pulls out all their scientists and they do this report on where the world is headed from an energy point of view. This is where we actually get a lot of our data that we use with our clients or make our predictions for the following year. Um, so, yeah, and the funny thing, the dress wherever you want, I actually had somebody, because it's a webinar, right? You're at home. I actually had somebody reach out to me a while back and go, that's not appropriate. It's like, you're at a webinar. You're not, you're not going to person. But yeah, if you're in the industry, you need to, you need to watch this. Definitely. All right. And if you enjoyed this show and you have your own questions, the first Friday Q&A is just a month away, Mark.
Yeah. So send them in anything about the oil and gas industry, you know, any, whether it's, you know, super technical or super big, or you want, just want to understand. And even if you don't know the oil and gas industry and you want to better understand it, ask a question or two. If you, uh, if we, if we use your question, you'll get a big shout out on the show and, you know, maybe somebody will discover you from Hollywood. <laughs> from Hollywood. And if you have any qu questions about marketing your business with an oil and gas or market research that Mark does, by all means, this show, this particular episode is brought to you by our companies, <laughs> right, Mark? Yeah, it's, it sounds funny. But yeah, it's, it's sponsored by us. It's sponsored by us. And um, we've said it before. We're going to say it again. Join the LinkedIn group. Yeah. So we have some cool stuff coming out. We have new shows coming out. We have a live event coming out and that will continue to happen. And it's always going to be announced on the LinkedIn group first. So for no other reason, other than to find out what is going on before everybody else, go join our LinkedIn group. Hey, go join the LinkedIn group and expand your network into the 1100 plus people that are part of that, that group already, because they are high quality contacts. That's for sure. All right, Mark, we are at 91. We're currently at 91. And I'm dying to get to 100. Yeah, come on, people. Well, actually, let me say what we're talking about. We're talking about iTunes reviews. Yep, iTunes reviews. So, um, I, you know, James, I think maybe a lot of people think since we have so many reviews that it's not worth their time to, to leave one. But they're wrong. Um, every review is important. Whether you love the show, hate the show, have ideas, how cool would it be if you gave us an idea that we didn't think of and we give you credit for it? So um, forget about all the other reviews. Yours is special and unique, and we want it, and we need it. Right? It helps drive our search engine rankings. So please, you hear me say this on every show. If you do it, I'll quit saying it. Um, <laughs> yeah, please. In fact, I tell you what, if we can get to 100 reviews by next show, I won't ask this on the next show. Right? We only need nine more. So please, please, please do me a personal favor. Take the two minutes. Go leave us a review. Um, I, I will, it will make James and I happy enough that we won't even talk about it on the next show. We won't even talk about it on the if next show. If we hit a hundred. If we hit a hundred thousand, we'll never mention it again. Uh, <laughs> if we hit a thousand, we'll never mention it again. Yep. <laughs> deal. Deal. And also just to follow up on the point that you're making there, Mark, we're not only looking for five star reviews and that might be something that's holding people back is, oh, there's so many reviews. What other good thing could I say? If you have a one-star review for us, I just mentioned it earlier, negative feedback is just as important as positive because if there's something that we need to tweak on the show or anything that, that we need to change, we want to hear about that too. Yeah, yeah, everything we want to know. We want to know. All right, and if you made it this far in the show, uh, please share it with your friends. You can do that by going to tribrocket.com forward slash share li. That shares it straight to LinkedIn forward slash share TW goes to Twitter and forward slash share Facebook goes to Facebook. If you have any questions to follow up on the questions for this episode, or if you have any comments, anything at all, or if you want to actually check out some of the books that Mark recommended, anything like that, you can go to the show notes at tribrocket.com forward slash TW67. Are you ready to go, Mark? Yeah, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. had to have a meeting about forming a meeting and i'm thinking you gotta be kidding me we're gonna have a meeting about a meeting <laughs>